Welcome to Wisconsin DNR's Wild Wisconsin Off the Record Podcast. Information straight from the source. another episode of the Wisconsin DNR Wild Wisconsin Off the Record Podcast. So as a quick reminder for those listening, this really gives us a good a good chance to talk with both externals and DNR staff about some of the work that we're doing, uh, what it means for you in the outdoors, whether you like to hike, hunt, fish, or anything like that. So uh, we're excited to be offering these podcasts. We're glad you're listening. Today we have a, another special edition of the Wild Wisconsin podcast with our hosts for their deer season web series actually we got the hunting public guys here too we've also got a couple of dnr wildlife staff as well uh, my name is sawyer Briel. i work for the fish wildlife and parks division um, so before we get into intros today we are going to be talking about hunting public lands um, this is one of those topics where we could probably go on for four or five hours if if we really needed to um, there's a lot of good information out there a lot of good information coming from the hunting public guys DNR has some resources out there too for you to learn more and really get involved. Uh, so we're really hoping to get you excited about maybe finding a new place to hunt, taking someone new hunting um, on our public land. So today, as I mentioned, we're joined by two guys from the hunting public, Aaron Warbritton and Jake Hubschman. And then we also have Bill Hogseth from DNR Wildlife Management and Jeff Pritzel from DNR Wildlife Management. So what we'll do before we get started here is just kind of give you guys an an opportunity to give some background, um, your history of hunting, what you do at the department, kind of what, what makes it come all full circle for you with public land. So Jeff, why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, you know, I spent, I think as most people do, um, the first 20 years of my hunting career was on public land. And the first properties I was, I was introduced to was I was taken there by someone else. So like you were saying in your intro, Sawyer, I think the opportunity for those that are listening that are hunting public land to bring more people out to get exposed is critically important. It's how I got started. And eventually I was um, on my own and, and um, enough experience I started doing some of my own exploring. But, you know, I've hunted public property for deer from Bayfield County down to the southern part of Wisconsin over the last uh, 25 years, spent a lot of time in the central forest area and cut my teeth when I was a teenager and a young adult. Um, so uh, I've last 10 years I've been fortunate to have a little piece of my own, but what that's really done is made me appreciate my public hunting days and I'll still go back um, because honestly, to have an actual hunt experience, um, I have better hunting experiences on a piece of public land where I would call it, it's more hunting. When I'm on my own piece of property, I know it so well, and it's almost got to be automatic. I'm kind of fortunate. I'm in a spot where there's uh, edge of suburbia, there's no shortage of deer, and I actually look forward to going back to some public land for more of an actual hunt. Mm -hmm. Bill, how about you? Yeah, my name is Bill Hogseth. I'm the uh, DNR wildlife biologist covering Eau Claire and Chippewa counties. And actually, I started hunting as an adult, so I didn't grow up in a hunting family. Uh, so I've been hunting for about 10 years, and once I made the decision to start hunting, 
Um, I actually live next to a piece of public land called the Dunville Wildlife Area, which is a DNR property, and that's actually where I kind of started experimenting with hunting. And um, uh, it was really fun because I would uh, go out there and just learn as I went, and the, the property offered me an opportunity to just um, go experiment. And um, it also kind of made me feel giddy because here I had this 5,000 acre property that I could just kind of explore, and it sort of was like, at times it felt like it was my own property and I kind of had the place to myself and um, so for me uh, public lands have been a really important piece for me learning to hunt as an adult. Mm -hmm. Aaron how about you? Oh man I started hunting public when I was very young. Uh, it actually started even before that you know I got introduced through family and friends when I was five six years old just going on blood trails and stuff like that with my uncles or my dad whenever somebody come in from a hunt, they, you know, you always had to find out what they saw or, or if they had any luck, you know, and it just slowly progressed from there. But we got more into the video aspect of hunting when we were in our teenage years, you know, 13, 14 years old, stole my aunt's video camera out of the closet and <laughs> pretty much wrecked it in the first year using it. So, uh, but, we, but we gained a bunch of new experience that way in filming hunts and trying to show people sort of the the realistic story about what is going on in the woods with deer hunting especially and that's been my passion my whole life and that's eventually led me to where we're at now with the hunting public. Mm -hmm. Jake how about you? Mine's very similar to Aaron's. I uh, started at a young age. Uh, my grandpa grew up right across the road from the other end of Marsh public lands and kind of got into hunting small game with him to start out hunting. Started with rabbits and squirrels and stuff like that. Hunting on public land with him right across the road from his house and eventually got into deer hunting and turkey hunting and I just fell in love with that and similar to Aaron picked up a video camera when I was in high school and pretty much ran with it since then and luckily enough kind of got, got together with these guys and we've been doing the hunting public since and it's been mm -hmm. a blast. And I'm gonna let these guys do the majority of the talking. Um, I've done a fair share of hunting on, on public land for all, all types of species and really enjoy it, really have learned, come to appreciate it, something I really look forward to. I think there's a certain allure to hunting public land that I really can't explain, but it just it just makes it more fun for me. Um, so we like to give everyone some host background, maybe give them that perspective before we get going. Um, and I do want to also note that we are in the midst of shooting the Wild Wisconsin web series. So if you hear hear some noise in the background. We are actually live from the back room at a restaurant on our lunch break right now. So we are just going above and beyond to get you this content. Uh, we, we were filming on public land today. We actually have been all week. So um, we're walking it like we talk it. So without further ado, I think it might be helpful for the people listening. Um, Aaron and Jake, can you guys give an idea of what the hunting public is? I think the name, the name might give it away, but Kind of give them an idea of why we're so pumped to have you guys on a hunting public land podcast. Well, we primarily hunt public land. I would say that that's not necessarily where the name is derived. The hunting public is more so created to mean... Uh, what's the, the, word the general for? public. Yeah, the hunts. general public that hunts. That's where the name came from. And it doesn't matter if you're a deer hunter, duck hunter, whatever it is. Whatever, it public, matter. private land, whatever. Now... In our content, we're hunting 90% public land because that's what we liked to do. You know, I mean, in both of our situations, we grew up 
in areas where we had access to public land and maybe not as much private. So we wanted to go hunting and we wanted to experience it. So that was kind of what we, we used to get into the, the sport of hunting, if you will, and uh, have just progressed ever since then. And, and now it's just so much fun to hunt a new piece of public land that you've never seen before and, mm -hmm. and learn it as you go. So what would you guys say the goal of your channel is as far as uh, when your viewers watch it, what do you want them to take away? We want them to see how much fun we're having in the field. And, and one thing that we preach a lot and try to, try to show folks, you know, through the content in the YouTube channel is you'll see the social aspect of hunting within our content because it's all a big group of... of Us working together to yeah. uh, accomplish whatever goal it is, whether it's a big buck, a turkey, a small buck. I mean, Yeah, I mean, we're going to go on the deer tour this yeah. fall and there'll be five, six of us in camp and maybe only one of us will have to tag. But, uh, you know, as soon as somebody shoots a deer, we're all ready to go on that track job and help them get it out. You know, I mean, it's just a team effort all around. And that's one reason why we love Wisconsin so much. Um, it's our number one viewership state, uh, most importantly. But uh, Wisconsin is very rich in the social aspect of the hunting, tradition, the hunting the deer tradition, camp. deer camp tradition. Which is yep. exactly what we want. Pe we want people to be able to relate to working with their friends instead of it being exclusive. Yeah, and, and that's actually starting to slip away in a lot of places in the country. You know, that social aspect of hunting is, I uh, don't mean to sound doom and gloom, but it's starting to become lost in a lot of places. Luckily, Wisconsin still has that deeply rooted tradition. And that's one reason why we love it up here. And with being lucky enough to travel to other states, I feel lucky to grow up in Wisconsin where that tradition is so rich. Absolutely. The camaraderie is so, so great, especially during deer season. Mm -hmm. You know, and even so, it's, it's relative because those of us that are here, we kind of feel a bit of the slip too. But like you're, I think what you're saying is relative to other places, we still should feel fortunate and yep. blessed. And, and we, we're cognizant of that as an agency. Mm -hmm. And... We're really happy to see this conversation switch more towards that collaborative and cooperative nature of what hunting can be, and it is. It ultimately comes down to the mindset of what you're, how you're approaching it, you know, from the beginning. And I, I really like to see this conversation turning more towards appreciating. Because that's how you're going to create more hunters is yeah. getting family and friends into it. Yeah, and I know as I was getting my start as an adult hunter, like I said, I would go out to public land and just go sit in a spot with a gun. And not really feeling like I knew what I was doing, and uh, made a, I know I made a lot of mistakes. Oh yeah, that um, happens every time. We some go of the to most fun still. you probably had, though. Right, right, and and I, you know I thought every time I thought at least well at least I was outside, um, even if I wasn't successful. But I remember uh, going from that mode to then finding a group that said, "Oh, you're trying to learn how to hunt," and they took me under their wing, and it became that social part and a lot of sharing of skills and mm -hmm. and transfer of knowledge and. Yep really a lot of growth uh, for me as a hunter and building my confidence and feeling like, okay, I actually do know what I'm doing because I've got mentors. Right. Uh, so just, you know, piggybacking off that, that, the idea of the importance of the social aspect of hunting. Yeah, if you see other people on public land, go communicate with them. Right. Talk to them. We, we preach that all the time. When mm -hmm. we pull up to a parking area or wherever it is that we're hunting on public and there's people there getting ready or coming in from a hunt, we talk to them. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and sometimes those conversations go on for hours and we make, we've got so many friends from all over the place because they're doing the same thing we are there. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I mentioned when we kicked this thing off today that uh, we were so excited. I, th I think the people that we have at, at the table represent such 
a wide range. You got Bill, who is an adult onset hunter. You've got Jeff, who's been hunting forever. I'm not calling you old, but you've been hunting a long time. <laughs> uh, Aaron and Jake, uh, they've been hunting a long time. It's in their family. So I think with this group that we have at the table, I think we're really going to have a good discussion today. So one other housekeeping item I wanted to take care of before we really get rolling. Bill, can you kind of explain, and Jeff too also, uh, the DNR's role in kind of managing public lands. How does it, when a hunter walks onto a wildlife area and sees mowed trails, sees habitat, sees an apple tree, um, what connections should they be making? What's your guys' role on the landscape? Yeah, that's a great question. So every, every property, every DNR property has a property manager, and often that's a local staff person. So for me, I uh, cover Eau Claire and Triple Counties, so every state wildlife area in either of those counties is um, assigned to me in terms of uh, making sure that um, we're managing it according to the master plan of, of what's been set forth that the public's been a part of helping us create. Um, and then we've got staff, sometimes they're seasonal, sometimes they're year-round, uh, who are actually doing a lot of the work. I spend uh, more time than I'd like in the office these days. Um, when I was getting started in the DNR, I, I was one of those staff. Uh, we call them, uh, they're often LTEs, and they're, um, they're the ones doing the, the, the work. They're uh, mowing the, the, the trails, they're mowing the parking lots, they're putting up the signs after they get shot down. Uh, they're, uh, you know, they're controlling rarely, the, rarely. yeah, they never get shot down that one, one, once in a decade, right? Um, but they're, but they're putting a lot of effort in and they're, um, often putting in like, uh, days and, you know, the heat, the bugs, and, um, it's all to manage the habitat and make sure that it's accessible to the public, mm -hmm. uh, not only for the hunting experience, but also for the species that need those habitats out there, whether it's woodcock and grouse in the young forest or, um, you know, pheasant in the grasslands and yeah. So the, so from a staff perspective, uh, there's a property manager, anybody in the public can call that person too, uh, on our staff directory. Um, you can look up a property and find who it is that manages it. And if you want to learn more about that property, why it's being managed the way it is, or you have questions about it, give that person a call. I mean, we're real people, and we love hearing from uh, folks locally uh, who are using the property and might have questions. And I actually, um, I actually started asking questions myself. Like, you know, why, why do you go out to that property specifically? What do you like about going to the property? And I learn a lot about uh, folks who are using my properties, and it actually kind of helps me um, manage as well. And you, you mentioned before that use that information from because like you said you spend a little more time in the office than you'd like but mm -hmm. there's the the public is out there spending time on the property and you've used what they've told you to help make that property better same thing with the social aspect of hunting and collaborating mm -hmm. with each other i mean if we have these relationships married together with the public and your agency like you're just gonna only better things can happen i mean it seems that simple to me and we mention it a lot that the public plays a key role in management on a very high-level scale by uh, license sales, stamp dollars, and things like that. But you hear Bill mention that um, through master plans and things like that, getting feedback from the public, they're really playing a role at the landscape level as well. It's, it's not just that high-level license dollars level. They're, they're really involved every step of the way. You're involved every step of the way. You know, and I would say across Wisconsin, I mean, we've got, you know, millions of acres 
um, but just even within the wildlife management program specifically, you know, over a half a million acres, those properties that I think of as our our best properties, yeah. our top ones are the ones that have been embraced by the local community. Um, so they're using it. They've, you know, in some cases, literally adopted it. We have an adopt a wildlife area program now, and so having that partnership is 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 great. You know, Bill mentioned master plans, and within DNR we have various properties that have different primary purposes, but we try to have multiple use as much as possible. So a wildlife area, um, that's its primary purpose is providing public hunting opportunity with uh, with year-round oper other opportunities, but we don't manage a wildlife area like a state park. There's not as many amenities. We have parking lots basically as access points, and then it's intended to be not to have amenities as opposed to a state park that's going to have facilities and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we have moved into the realm of opening state park properties to public hunting um, to where we can do it without it being in conflict with its primary use. And so there's there's been growing opportunities for people to get on pieces of land in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else you guys wanted to add from a DNR perspective before we get into kind of the the how-to for planning a public land hunt or getting into it? Well, I just want to echo what these guys said, that it really is about a public-private partnership and um, just just to let po folks know that, that um, we want to hear from them if they're using our property, and we're also happy to answer questions. But I know duck hunters will call me uh, with some of the flowages I manage because, you know, when we draw down a flowage and we let all the weeds grow up and then we flood it, that's prime time for uh, ducks coming through in the migration. So questions like that we're always happy to answer. And we can be a partner to folks who are hunting on our lands and um, give them, give them uh, some information about the management. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just get into it then? So I'm just going to open this up to a roundtable is pretty much how we're going to do it for the rest of the time. Uh, so anyone feel free to chime in here. How, what's, what are the best steps or best thoughts to consider when uh, trying to find a public property to hunt? Oh, there's a, there's a number of factors. I mean, it, it comes down to your individual needs, number one. Are you a weekend warrior type of a hunter? Are you trying to travel somewhere for the rut, for example? Are you taking two weeks vacation? All those things are going to play a role. We talked a while ago, we were talking about like local public lands and then public lands that you're not familiar with that are, you know, two, three hours down the road. And there's, there's a wide variety of them. I, I don't want to necessarily write off any particular public area because each and every one offers something slightly different from a habitat standpoint, maybe even from a hunting pressure standpoint. So you almost don't want to pigeonhole yourself into, into one specific area as much as you want to learn more about woodsmanship and just how to figure out deer and how they relate to hunting pressure in general. And then you can use those skills on just about any public area. Would you guys, does that make sense? And another thing that we always do is we start, if we're going into a completely new area that we never set foot on, only looked at maps, we'll, we'll call you guys and get as much information as you, or get as much information from you guys as we can, because local knowledge, that we, what we, from what we've learned, can be more valuable than anything. Yeah, it don't matter if you're experienced or inexperienced. If you're going into an area that you're unfamiliar with, you need to gain as much knowledge as you can. Say, for example, there's an access road on one side of the property that is a minimum maintenance road and it's rained recently. Like that road could potentially be muddy and hamper some access there. I'm not gonna know that 
if I'm three hours away in northern Wisconsin, I'm traveling down south, for example, that may be something that a local person or uh, manager can help with. Any, that, and that's just one example of many details that you can pick up having those conversations. So that seems to be a, a pretty agreed upon first step is uh, choosing a property, hopefully working with local DNR staff to kind of tailor that experience to what you're looking for uh, based on pressure, habitat, opportunity, things like that. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything to add there? Well, I'm thinking about my own experiences now working in Green Bay in the Fox Valley. We're blessed in northeast Wisconsin with having a lot of interspersed public properties with a lot of people. And so it, one of the realities that comes with that is they are well used at certain times. And mm -hmm. I guess my tip would be for someone new, I think sometimes the assumption is, well, I don't want to go there because there's too many people there or it's too... Um, it's, there's too much pressure and there might be a safety aspect to it. They might think, well, there's too many people there. It may, is it not safe? I would simply say if you look at our safety record and, and what's happened over the last number of decades with hunter safety and regulations as it relates to um, that, we just have a tremendously good safety record in the state. And so um, we've demonstrated over and over that people can share property hunting and even share with other experiences um, that are that are not hunting and and it can happen at the same time a lot of people are they just think oh it's one or the other and then the other aspect of it is not to shy away from a property just because oh there's I see so many cars there um, as you get later into the season <laughs> there's really great opportunities and I can think of properties in the in the Green Bay area that are close to a lot of people that um, if if you enjoy late season type hunting, you can have those properties, you know, to yourself, and they're they're easy to get to know. And that's another aspect of it to me is yeah, don't I mean this if it's convenient and you get to know that property really well, you start to learn hunter behavior and animal behavior, and you can position yourself strategically. And if it's convenient, you don't you're not obligated because this is the only three hour block. I need three hours, and so I don't get to go as often. If it's close. You can catch it on, the, on going to work or coming home from work, and you can be a little more picky that uh, today seems, feels like the right day. You know, today mm -hmm. might be, yeah, there's a lot of days you could go there and not see anything, but today is going to be a, a movement day. You just sometimes sure. you feel it, you know, and it's like, I'm going to go out there today. And then, again, it was convenient, and even if you didn't see anything, I don't think any of us would say there isn't a time you spend an hour in the woods, even if you didn't see the quarry you were after, that it wasn't a worthwhile yeah. right. experience. I got a good example, piggybacking off of what you were just saying. Um, we hunt a lot of areas that have tons of hunting pressure on them. And if you learn to use that to your advantage, you'll actually find that your hunting can be even better during those times when there's a lot of pressure. I mean, we've got one area that we hunted a few years ago that's about 2,000 acres in size. And at the time, it was getting hit hard on uh, three sides of it by hunting pressure. And there was, to your point, we had already scouted the entire area. We'd already got to know it because it was close to our home. We picked a little back corner of that place and went in there. And I can't tell you how many bucks and, and deer, just the quality of the hunt that we had. And that was because that pressure had moved those deer slightly. They were still on the public area, though. They, they, they didn't they, leave the good habitat. They're all just concentrated on one area. If you can find that area, it can be really crazy yeah, sometimes. So, I mean, and then when the pressure slacks off again, then to your point, obviously you can, you can use the entire thing, but don't, don't necessarily eliminate it. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Just because there's, there's hunting pressure there. Just learn to, to adapt to that mm -hmm. just as the deer are doing. 
So I think we've laid some good groundwork, kind of square one before you do anything else. Um, so can you guys talk about in this hypothetical kind of stream of consciousness of, of finding a place to hunt to hunting it, what, what would be next? After you find a place? You've chosen your property. Um, ideally, you've talked to that local manager. What's next? You need to go out and scout it. You need uh, at least that's what we do. We go out. Bill after mentioned we, it before too. Is just yeah. getting boots on the ground, and eventually you found the nooks and crannies. I think you said earlier right. of that property, mm -hmm. and you really start to learn it, and it starts to feel like your own. You said right. just because you know it so well, and that can that always works to your advantage if you know the whole property. Yeah, and as you're doing that, just pick up on on every little thing that you can when you're in the woods. Um, look at deer tracks, for example, on a deer trail and think about the direction they're headed, the direction that they're coming from, and then try to identify, you know, browse lines in the woods. Rubs, you can scout for rubs and scrapes in the middle of the summer if you want. Go out and brave the bugs, you know, and we do it all the time. Or we'll find that sign that was laid down the year before, and that tells us more about the big picture and what's going on in the woods. Mm -hmm. So, I guess... To answer your question, that's what we're doing after we pick an area. We spend a lot of time scouting. We don't, and we don't necessarily go in there and scout every day for a month or anything. We'll take one public area and pick some areas of focus on a map. And, and we'll, we'll scout it as a group. We will. So we can cover it well in one swath that we, we don't have to go back in there until hmm. we're ready to hunt, really. And we can learn a lot yeah. about a property in a shorter amount of time, whereas if it was just one guy, it would take you a long time to cover. Right, but it's the same principle applies. Yeah. You know, you, you section off what's doable for you that day, and then you go and walk and, and scout. When you're, when you're scouting, you never stop asking yourself why that sign is there. And that's, exactly. That's how you, and I mean, that's what hunting is. You, you never stop learning, and that's why so many people love it, because you can never learn everything. But you're always asking yourself, why is that rub there? Why is that scrape there? Why is this deer bedded here? So how do you guys pick who gets the best spot then? Oh, I mean, we don't, we really, it's not a big argument in our group no. for the most part. I mean, so that means Aaron gets it, I think. Is <laughs> well, last year he did because he was the only the person that had an archer tag in the state we were in, but yeah, but I, yeah I guess it doesn't really matter to us who pulls the trigger. We're all, we're all there for it, and like we said, Wait, hunting as a group, we all get super excited no matter who pulls the trigger. That's the great thing with, with hunting public land as a group or the social aspect of hunting. It doesn't have to be public mm -hmm. land as a group, it can be private land. Like, you feel part of it, whether you're killing a deer scouted, or not. We scout most of the properties together, so we all feel like we had mm -hmm. some sort of part in it. You I open guess. up your learning opportunity so much more, yeah. too, that way. So if you can't get boots on the ground, are there other options, say, logistics-wise, you just, you've picked your spot, you've talked to the land manager, but you just can't get there? Are there, with technology, are there other options? Uh, do you guys have opinions on that? Oh yeah, you, you can do a ton of uh, e-scouting or map scouting from your computer at home. And what we're looking for, let's just take deer for example, is a lot of times you're looking for some kind of edge habitat or edge features. And you can, I mean that can be defined in a number of different ways. You know, whether you're hunting in hilly terrain or marsh terrain, there's always going to be some type of habitat diversity there, at least on most of these public areas. and. Uh, Wherever there's an edge that's formed, for example, in an area that you expect pressure to not exist, like hunting pressure, to be lighter anyway, we're going to check that out. We're going to go in there and walk it. If we can't walk it, like you mentioned, we're still going to go in there and with a stand on our back or, you know, with plans to hunt that spot and just scout our way Looking in slow. Looking for a transition of one habitat type to another, so say... 
I, you can tell a lot of times on a map where like where hardwoods would fall into some younger pines and those younger pines you could assume that there's deer going to be bedded in there just because it's thick and mm -hmm. deer, deer love to bed right on the edge of it and the more you look at this stuff and the more that you scout it the, more, the easier it'll be to pick spots on a map and have a pretty good guess at if it's going to be a good spot mm -hmm. or not marsh is easy to see also with when you've got marsh terrain that butts up against hardwood timber or oaks for example those deer will bed in the marsh and then they'll come out and they'll feed in the oaks well and with, and, with marsh ground you can it pretty much tells its own story on the map it's because there's no trees in the way you can see the deer trails oh, you spiraling can. out of beds it's yeah with, you the, can with zoom the resources in on the, that we have nowadays with aerial photos it's you can get a lot done just mm -hmm. to your computer Mm -hmm. And a lot, another thing you do is you can cross a lot of spots out that you don't have to put your boots on the ground. You can mm -hmm. pretty much just eliminate them. You, mm -hmm. you can assume that they're not going to be very good spots to hunt. So yeah. would it be reasonable to say that kind of digital scouting might be before boots on the ground for you guys a lot of yeah, the Yeah, but it's always during as well. Mm -hmm. Like we've, we've got smartphones with mm -hmm. us, you know, everybody does. Mm -hmm. and, marking uh, spots. While we're out there, we're marking spots as we go. Because, I mean, if you're in a bunch of dense cover or something, you may not know exactly where you're at unless you can pull up your map, and then you mark that location, and then you come back, regroup, and look at the big picture from your computer or digital map after the fact. And I'd be remiss, too, if I didn't mention, we're recording right now. Um, it's late July, but we're actually, the DNR will be launching our new app um, in early September, the Hunt Wild Wisconsin app, and it's, it's going to do... A lot of what we just discussed as far as marking waypoints, marking trails, um, boundaries for public lands, a mapping feature regulations. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, that's going to be dropping soon. And for anyone listening after September, uh, check it out. You're going to be able to download it on Apple and Android. So just want to take a quick detour there because we're really working hard to kind of give you the tools to put this work in early and, and help you find success. So going back on to the the track. Did anyone want to touch on anything more about scouting? I just want to add one thing to the e-scouting uh, conversation is uh, aerial photographs, if you interpret them right, you can kind of start picking up on where forest management has happened and you can start picking out the places where there was a recent clear cut or a recent oak shelter wood type of harvest That's and that might be able to uh, tune you into some places where you've got regenerating aspen uh, and those young shoots, and, and again, you have natural edges at those places as well. Uh, so that'd be just a recommendation for folks to start mm -hmm. learning how to recognize where there has been forest management uh, on your aerial photos. And from a biology perspective, uh, Jeff or Bill, can you explain why an area like that would be useful for you to check out? Oh, it's, I think almost everyone, as you start learning about hunting and what you're focusing on, it's about food. <laughs> Yeah. It's about bedding. Mm -hmm. And so it's figuring out, you know, when those animals are going to be on their feet and moving and where they're moving to and from is between bedding and feeding. And you want to put yourself strategically in the right spot, you know, between there. And so that really can help you narrow down your focus area as far as where you're going to spend your time. Well, and with that regrowth, there's just always a, going to be a high stem count for deer just to have cover and food right where they, they can spend all their time in a pretty small area and have everything that they need. Yeah, that's yep. what's so great about clear cuts is that yeah. you get both. You know, yep. you get the, the food and the cover. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had plenty of experiences on public land where somebody had their favorite spot. It's been their tree for a long time, and then they come back the next year, 
and that tree's gone, and there was a timber sale. And their first reaction, understandably, is is a, a distraught. Right. And they'll even call us, and why did you do that for? <laughs> and, and so then that spawns the discussion of, well, you know, understand that, yeah, this year it may look pretty rough, and yeah, you might have to change your location, but in the next five, ten years, you know, this is really, it's only going to get better. Right. You've got something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So we've covered picking your spot or picking a number of spots that you can never have too many potential options. Uh, we've talked about scouting both electronically with all the technology that's available and obviously getting boots on the ground, uh, going out there with friends, family, kind of covered more ground. Uh, where are we at now? What's next? This might not be of interest to everyone, but I want to draw attention to the fact that we also have, in terms of online available information, our DNR Deer team a couple of years ago put a lot of effort into making basically all of our data, harvest data and population data available to the public. So you can see everything we're looking at at the county level. So you can't hone it down into your hunting spot. But if someone is, it's a blank slate and I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm ready for a change. I want to go, maybe I'll check this county out. We've got a lot of data and it's broken out between private land and public land. And you could, so you may be someone who's like, I'm looking for a more peaceful, so solitary experience, so I can go to County X and look at hunter density, you know, on opening day of the gun season on public land, compare it to this other county. And you can even do some simple math then of looking at deer harvest per square mile, and if that's a, an expectation that's important to you, you know, even deer sightability. We have the opportunity for all hunters to report to us every hunting experience they have, how many hours they hunted, how many deer they saw, where they were at. We break that out to private and public land. So we have public land and you can look at the chart for a county and see what's been the trend in deer scene per hour of effort and that type of That's thing. Incredibly That's incredibly useful cool information. Very for cool. Trying to find a new spot. And I think one other thing I want to mention for new hunters or people that are trying to find a new spot that we touched on before the podcast is when you're going in and you're doing that map scouting, we, we talked about marking points, and that can be really important for maybe you're going to cover this spot one time and then the next time you're going to be coming in is going to be in the dark in the morning. Marking that spot and having that somewhere, either whether it's on a GPS or a phone, can be really beneficial for not getting lost on the way to the stand. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad Jeff mentioned that all that data, and I think one thing in particular you mentioned is um, so you can find it by searching deer metrics on the DNR website. But something he mentioned there that's very interesting and kind of puts you in the driver's seat is you're going to see the data that our biologists have. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that's essentially the case. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people tend to say, whether at public meetings or whatever, uh, well, I don't, I don't know about this, I don't know about this, but you're gonna, you have access to that exact same data that they are using in the field. Uh, whether that's setting quotas, working with CDAX, anything like that. So I think that's really that's something to highlight that's super, it should be super interesting for a lot of hunters out there. Oh yeah, that is information that is a gold mine for somebody like me that might be traveling, you know, across the state somewhere two or three hours away and trying to pick a spot to hunt, like mm -hmm. you said, you're going to use that tool mm -hmm. for sure. Well, and as you mentioned, you, you can look at hunter density numbers. It, you might not be looking for the highest deer density. Maybe, you, like you said, you just want to get away from people and have some right. solitude that you can mm -hmm. find all that out on there too, which is really cool. Yeah. Okay, so we got scouting solidified. What's next? When you go hunting? Yeah, what's, what's next on the, the train of thought? 
that's that's it, man. Once uh once hunting season arrives, it's time to hit the woods. And when we go in, we use that prior scouting, but we're not married to it by any means. We are still going to preach adaptability. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned, having, you know, a plan B and a plan C is always going to be good on public land. Things are constantly changing just in the environment, but especially on public land where you can't control all, all the things. So it, it's yeah. important to be adapt or adaptable. Yeah, I mean, if, if your honey hole that you picked out, you know, in the summer or the spring or whatever has got a bunch of trucks parked at it and it's getting an abnormal amount of hunting pressure, you may want to hunt the backside of that area. Or you may want to come back to that area two days later and go hunt your plan B spot. You know, um, so it's, I guess, maintaining that adaptability is a pretty big deal. You're never done scouting. Just, just obviously the first time in is important, but you're always scouting for a new spot. Like, just cause like Aaron's saying, just because a spot was good one year, doesn't mean something didn't change and it's going to be good the next and year. And what we'll do when we go in and hunt, a lot of times we're mobile, like uh, Jeff and I were talking about earlier. Um, and we'll go in with a stand on our back or, you know, plain enough to, to sit on the ground somewhere. But we'll be slipping in there quiet in an area where we're going to detect the least amount of deer, if possible, on an access route that we might have already scouted or planned via maps. And as we go in, we're looking for signs such as if it's early season and the bucks have just shed their velvet, we're looking for rub lines in the timber that may be heading towards an acorn flat out of a bedding area. And as we're going, if we see a couple of those fresh rubs, for instance, or fresh tracks coming on down these trails, we know where that bedding area is from our prior scouting. And we know the likelihood of bucks being in there is higher now because we had this fresh sign sitting in front of mm -hmm. us. That they're still there. That, that right. confirms your scouting. And even if, if the sign isn't there, a lot of times we find that they didn't go very far. They're, they didn't completely yeah. leave. They're still there somewhere. You just got to find where that somewhere mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Jeff, what's what's your next step here? You pull up to the property, you've done all the work. What's going through your mind that first day you're hunting it? First day you're hunting it, even though you've done pre-scouting, you're, you're essentially scouting at the time too because if it's mm -hmm. your first year on that property, you have to go in with the mindset of this is a learning experience. There's always that factor of luck. You put yourself in the right place at the right time and you obviously have a better chance of, of harvesting by being out there than you do on the couch. Oh, but yeah. if you go in with the reality of, um, I'm not sure what's gonna happen here. I don't know where the, what the pattern is where other people are. And so year one, maybe even year two, um, just be aware that I'm, if I'm gonna see other people. If I'm in a spot where there's good deer hunting, yeah, other people are probably gonna be there. And it might be a matter of recognizing that um, that's just part of it, and, and that sense of rather than approaching it defensively, like you know, oh rats, you know, there's some I didn't want to see that person. One day, if you're sitting down, and somebody walks, you see somebody cut through. Yeah, it might have messed you up that day, but the next day it could be the exact opposite thing, and they they might have moved a deer that favors you. And so right. don't automatically think that other people mean it's it's a bad thing or or that it's ruined, and and you're going to have to learn how deer, just as much as we talk about patterning deer, the deer are patterning us. It's a two-way street. And so when you um, can start to get to know a property where you're keying off of how the deer are changing their behavior based on how people are using it, that's when you really start to be mm -hmm. effective. And that takes time. That isn't oh, yeah. going to just happen 
um, the first year. And we've mentioned, we say it time and time again, we're, we're very blessed with the hunting culture in Wisconsin and a lot of serious deer hunters. So when you're walking in day one, you've done your homework, you've found the spot that's the best on the property, decent chance that someone else has too. So that, that's just one of those things that, that comes with hunting public land. But um, So do you guys have a feel for, um, say you're hunting, you get to hunt six, seven days that year. Do you guys have a feel for uh, how long you'll dedicate to a certain spot? Does it just completely vary by location? Or if, it, if it's just tumbleweeds blowing through after a day and a half, is, is there something that's going through your mind? We're pretty mobile for the most part. Um, you know, if we're not in if we're not in action on a given spot, we won't ride it off like you mentioned, Jeff. But we'll move. You know, we'll move to one of those other areas and, and not waste a ton of time there. You know, um, probably just because I'm impatient. But uh, mm -hmm. that's uh, that's more so the approach that we take, and we don't get discouraged really. I mean. I think that's a big part of it. If you're a if you're a new hunter and you're going out there and you have one of those experiences, use that to your advantage. Don't don't get discouraged because like you mentioned, it's it's public land. Things are going to change day to day and the very next day you could be in the driver's seat in that spot. And you always have to have that positive mindset moving forward because confidence is ultimately what fills tags. That's what gets you in the woods. Well, I'm getting frustrated is like what you're spending your free time to go out there hunting there's no sense in getting frustrated it's, it's no. all about having fun so just try to remember that you don't you don't have to it's not realistic to think you're going to get something every time you're going to go out. <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be that much fun there's think. some luck involved as we all know and mm -hmm. i i mean i can't tell you how many times we've had a hiccup or been messed up or whatever uh, ran into people and then we're like okay well we'll just We'll just move. We'll go to spot B, or we'll go 200 yards down the ridge and look there. And then you get down there and you set up, and you may end up killing a, the biggest buck of your life. I mean, that's happened to us before several times, or, or whatever. Or you may get, get into a bunch of deer in a spot that you weren't necessarily expecting. It's all part of the learning process. So you just have to keep going. Don't so, give up. So how long would you guys say uh, from start you're choosing the property, talking to the manager, hopefully getting out there a few times, getting on the computer or your phone, what would you say is the time frame that you would recommend as far as either months or weeks from start to your hunting for the first day? Is, is there a kind of best, best practice for that or is it just kind of whatever you can make work? I guess circling back to the last question you asked where you said if a guy only had the six, seven days out of the year, if you can pick those days, I guess we don't really focus on a certain time of the year. Obviously, buck movement is higher during the rut, but... Just, so it's hunter movement. Yeah, if you could pick those cold front days, I guess, if, if you had just a limited time to hunt, making the most out of your time in the woods, those cold front days, or what I always used before I started doing what I'm doing now, where I didn't have as much time to hunt. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you don't have six, seven days in a row, for example, to hunt, you just have a day here, a day there, maybe you can get out of work early on this next Wednesday at 3 in the afternoon and go out for a quick hunt, use that day to your advantage. Use some condition there that's to your advantage. If it's hot and it's humid and it's very little wind, think about what the deer is going to be doing then. I mean, it's very possible that you could be hunting a water source really close to bedding that you had scouted. You know, if it's a super windy day in the middle of the rut and it just rained, you might think about still hunting through bedding areas because you have wind cover and sound cover. 
in order to do to be successful. There's a number of different ways to skin the cat here. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and if you're if you're only down to very specific days in which you can hunt, don't get discouraged if the conditions don't necessarily favor you. Just use try to think about what the deer is doing with those conditions and use those to your advantage. And even if you can't go out in the woods that day with a bow or a gun in your hand, if you got a half hour to even just drive around oh, yeah. one of your spots that you hunt in the afternoon for a half hour and be looking for deer mm -hmm. and pressure, that can be really beneficial for, I mean, even if it's just 10 minutes, half hour, it can be really useful from what we found. Oh yeah. yeah. And the, the human element makes it interesting too because if, if you have a, an opportunity at a property you like for half of a Wednesday or a Saturday, taking a look at when you think there's going to be more hunters there, when you might have more freedom to kind of be more mobile. Mm -hmm. um, does that, that play into it too? Yeah, we hunt a lot during the week. Um, and to be honest, if you're archery hunting, for example, there's not a ton of people out there during the warm early season in comparison to the middle of the rut. Now granted, your buck movement is going to be better in the rut, your deer movement is going to be better in the rut, but you got to take those things into consideration. Like the deer movement's better in the rut, there's more hunters in the rut, but there's fewer hunters in the early season, although the deer movement isn't as good. Either time, you can have success. They are still moving though in the they early are season still moving. It might yeah. just be at a very, very mm -hmm. small area, and that's why we we tend to get really aggressive. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but I mean, it's just uh, learning to hunt different times of the year. I mean, all that can be fun. Mm -hmm. That gets you out there multiple different times, and bucks behave differently in September, late September than they would in mid-November. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting to watch that progression throughout the fall. So we've touched on a lot of info here, and I think we've kind of hit on a few, I don't know if I'd call them myths, but kind of common misconceptions about public land hunting. Jeff, I know you, you really enjoy talking about this stuff um, in detail. So can you guys, now that we've laid out that process, hopefully that's going to help someone kind of take it start to finish, whether it's their first time hunting public land or, or their 20th time, but what are some of the common misconceptions that you guys hear or see kind of regarding public land hunting? I'll, I'll, I'll add a little bit more to something I said earlier, and that's about safety. Now, one of them is that, well, I'm not going to a public property, especially during the gun season. It's not safe. There's too many people. Uh, the statistics simply don't bear that out when you look at um, hunting um, accident statistics. But what we should point out, and it's it's a legal requirement, but with the popularity of uh, pop-up ground blinds, if you're using them on public property, that you are required to drape it with uh, certain square inches of blaze orange so that you're still functioning. And of course, we're talking about a firearm season. Um, that is important because, and it's easy to forget because if you're using it on during the archery season or you're using it for turkey hunting, you might just go and, yeah, I'm going to pop this thing up. Mm. You've basically, if, again, if it's a firearm season, you've taken your visibility away. And so it is, it's, it is critical to follow that rule and, and, and get yourself well covered with blaze orange on those blinds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to your point, um, a lot of folks are worried about safety out there. And if you just use the, the, general safety rules and and guidelines that you learned when you got your hunter safety certification for example you can be just fine on public land you just have to use these same exact things that we've been talking about the entire time you have to predict hunting pressure you have to use that to your advantage as far as hunting goes and just be safe in the woods all the time whether you're hunting with a bow or a gun and we, I mean we hunt public land all the time in gun season and don't 
And we, we see other people, yes, we see other people killing deer. We even helped other people drag deer out of the woods, hmm. you know, and they've helped us. It's not a bad experience at all. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing about hunting public land, and I think what, from the original question, going into it with the right mindset, is that everybody has the right to be out there, and we should work together and not compete with each other. So, like we've talked about before, if you see another guy out there, don't be like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that guy. He's hunting my spot. He's ruining everything. Uh, the opposite of that is what you should be doing is going and talking to that person, seeing where they're going, just so you guys don't run into problems down the road where you walk two miles back and he's hunting 50 yards, or he mm -hmm. or she is hunting 50, 60 yards away from you, you won't run into that issue. And are, are you talking if you see someone in the parking lot or? Yeah. Yeah, just talking to them up front. You know, a lot of times we'll exchange phone numbers with, with somebody that's hunting there. Uh, you know, if you run into a non-resident, for example, and they say, oh, I'm gonna be here for five days, from North Carolina or wherever, never been here, it's really fun, and I want to be hunting this area and another area, and they're like, okay, well, nice to meet you, you know, Ted or whatever, and, and uh, we'll text you if we're coming back over here, or we'll call you. Because the work, the what you don't want to do is walk all the way in there and put in all that work just to sit right on top of each other when you could have avoided all of that when you were at the parking lot by simple communication. You know, from from both the safety hunters. and headache perspective, yes. I mean, there's definitely two sides to that. Yep. Now, if it's 30 minutes before quitting time, don't walk up to it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> to start the conversation. Yeah. Wait till the yeah. final bell rings. And... That too. <laughs> oh, yeah, we yeah. have. We have. Yeah. So how about, uh, I'll throw one out here. Uh, so something we've talked about uh, a little bit here is hunter pressure is bumping deer off public land. There's no deer left on there. There's too many people out traipsing around in there. Um, so what do, you, what do you guys say to that? I mean, it's just not the case for the most part. The deer, they, they have these home ranges that they feel comfortable in, and really it's no different with like a turkey, for example. They have an area in which they know their home, their habitat. They know it in and out because they spend day after day after day in it. If they get bumped out of that area, their mortality rate's going to go up because they have no idea where they are. I mean, they're going to come back to the area that they're familiar with, mm -hmm. is think, what I'm saying. I think Bill can speak on this, too, is this, this land is managed for the wildlife. Yeah, so exactly. It, a lot of the times, it is the best habitat for these animals to be living. And that's what we find over and over again, hunting public. Right. And the, the myth that you're kind of talking about, uh, Sawyer, is one of those things you've heard, we've heard for decades, right? And then... And I think just to remind folks that in the last five years, we've now gone the path of issuing public land tags versus private land tags. So especially in the forested uh, zones of, of the state, um, the harvest and the public pressure on uh, public lands is, is being managed really by the issuance of those antlerless tags. So that's just another thing for folks to remember that that's kind of a, a new thing in deer hunting in Wisconsin in the last five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, too. That's a great point. It, and this is in real broad general terms. Of when we look at the harvest statistics of comparing private land to public land, they're really not that different in terms of deer killed per square mile. What we do see is an, a, a little bit higher hunter density in terms of hunters per square mile and that ratio of uh, bucks to antlerless deer. The, the, the public land hunters will shoot a few more antlerless deer. Um, relative to the number of, of bucks um, because again, I think their mindset going into it is a little bit different. They're going to be a little more opportunistic in many mm -hmm. cases, and that's fine. Yeah. One of the ecological side benefits of having good deer hunting pressure is one of the things we've been talking about for the last heck, 20 years, actually, is in some places where deer densities are so high, 
they're having a long-term negative effect on forestry generation. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing on some of our public properties is actual good, healthy tree regeneration because the deer are being kept honest and in check. And yeah, that might mean your deer sightings per hour might be a little less than they might be on some perfect private piece. But if you, again, put yourself in the mindset of, I'm helping this piece of land be as healthy as possible um, by being here, um, that's a good thing. It's something turn, to feel good the, about. If the land is healthy, the deer are going to be healthy, yeah. too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyone else have any, any myths we'd like to cover or something they, they commonly hear? I commonly hear uh, from, like, locals around, around the area that I work in. I've heard, I've heard from some folks that uh, DNR land, it's all wasteland. You know, and you guys, you guys just buy it and you just let it go. You walk away from it. And I just want to remind people that nothing could be farther from the truth. We're actively uh, managing these lands with staff, with contractors, with partner groups through the Adopt a Wildlife Area program. We're, uh, we're replanting egg fields to prairie. We're uh, putting in apple orchards in some places. We're doing wetland restorations. I mean, we're, we're really hands-on with our properties. And... It's all to try to push those properties in the direction of healthy habitat. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, and I think the more people spend time on the land, they'll start seeing. They'll notice. It's that. like, oh wow, they notice that all. Wow, time. yeah, wow. This this field was uh, this field was recently planted, or this field was recently burned, or oh, these are there's a bunch of baby oak and pine trees in here, and mm -hmm. uh, or oh, these apples are newly planted. You know, I mm -hmm. think people see all those changes, and then they start making the connection. Okay, the money that I used to buy my license went to that action. And that starts uh, building that connection of how the hunters and, and the agency is really a partner in mm -hmm. making that change on the landscape. So to bring it all full circle here, I think we've covered a lot of really good info, but we haven't, we haven't touched too much on the social side of things. So I'm just gonna throw out a kind of open-ended question. Uh, feel free to, to answer it as you'd like, but what makes public land hunting so unique and or rewarding for you? Because I think that's a question that a lot of us ask ourselves a lot, and that's what keeps us coming back, I think, for me, for sure. Well, I'm sure everybody's probably got a little bit different answer, um, but I, I just really like exploring um, more than anything and learning about deer in various habitats and in various situations. That's one of the my biggest You're never getting around out of spots though. Right, yeah. I mean that's just it. If you if you just marry yourself to a small private property for the rest of your deer hunting life, your learning is eventually gonna slow down because you figured it out. You know, and what we've noticed of hunting a wide variety of public lands with different varying habitats and deer densities is that there's so much to learn about every single area and it's just it the deer becomes a fascinating animal at that point to a hunter like me because they're constantly changing and adapting to these habitats and you're just never, you never stop learning in a sense then. Unless you get something or get what you're after every time you go out, which I which no, anybody that does. Which no, I haven't met anyone then. You, ne you never win, which is yeah. what keeps everybody coming back, I yeah. think. The carrot's always out front. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Bill, Jeff? Well, as the public land, as the, as the property manager, um, I just like knowing that the properties are getting used and to know that there, this is a public benefit and that these lands belong to everybody in the state and that they're there for anybody to step foot on, whether they want to harvest a deer or whether they want to look at it to birth through some right. binoculars or pick mushrooms. 
I just really like knowing that this is a this is a public benefit that uh, everyone can um, access in whatever the way they want. Get so, outside and enjoy. Not yeah. to mention benefit for wildlife too. Right. On, right. On the other side of the coin. Yeah. Right. I think I want to say something going back to the myths about public land is I don't think we've covered it yet on this podcast talking about everybody has this mindset maybe that hasn't hunted public land that you're just going to run into a bunch of jerks out there that are real protective about their spots but that couldn't be further from the truth in our experience with as much as we're able to spend time in the field our interactions with other people on public land have been overwhelmingly positive and we've met a lot of really great people Mm -hmm. just hunting on public land Mm -hmm. so I guess that's a myth that we can bust right there yeah (laughs) consider it busted (laughs) I the attraction to me it kind of goes off what Aaron was saying is is what I'm looking for from a hunt Um, and again that's there's a whole spectrum of what anybody's looking for and that kind of plays into where you might go and when you might go there. But from, from my aspect, what I like about hunting on public land is the variables increase, the unknown increases, and there's nothing automatic about it. And that, when it does work, then makes it that much more rewarding. Now, I was, I was relating before. I mean, I do now in the last decade, I've had the fortune of having a place where I, I own a small parcel and it's close to suburbia. There's plenty of deer. I hunt it. I, I really enjoy harvesting and eating venison that's pretty much our primary red meat but when i'm hunting at home i'm more in that deer control mode Mm -hmm. and it's all at some point in time i'm pretty sure i'm gonna harvest the deer for the freezer at home and i i really appreciate that i'm blessed to have that opportunity but it's almost not so much a hunt because there's not so much there's no adventure there really other than i got any given day you never know what the deer is going to do and i can come home and tell my wife at dinner oh you wouldn't believe what happened out there today not to say that that doesn't happen but the allure of a piece of public land is there's a little bit more unknown and so when it does come together it's even that much sweeter yeah bring your kayak or your hip waders like you were talking about put them on and you're gonna i mean go out on a piece of land like that you don't know what you're gonna run into Mm -hmm. like you may you may see the biggest buck of your life out there today. You never, you just, you, it's the unknown and it's the adventure that seems lost in our society anymore and you can find it in all these different areas. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff took mine, so I'm just going to skip that portion for me. <laughs> well said, Jeff. Um, so before we wrap up here, one thing we like to do on all these podcasts is we kind of um, put you in the situation, one thing you could tell x or y so what's one thing that each of you would tell someone if you had the chance that is either maybe believes in in some of those myths um or just has never hunted public land you get one opportunity uh to talk to them and kind of pitch them on this whole thing what do you say we thought we mentioned before having a goal in mind which is your own goal not anybody else's goal before you go into the field and trying to accomplish that goal whether it's if you're just trying to kill a deer if you're trying to kill a big buck it doesn't matter it's just if you're happy with killing a doe that's what you should be happy with you don't have to worry about what anybody else is thinking and I think that's something that's lost with all the social media and whatnot today Mm -hmm. all you ever see is the picture of the big buck and that's that's not what you have to do in order to enjoy hunting I would just say don't be intimidated and go out and have fun. I mean, pretty much leave it at that. I'm, that's the that's what we do every day. And in in our position, we've actually kind of 
had an opportunity to go through the most of the spectrum of hunting, you know, large, private, managed acreage for deer and then back to public land and back and forth. And I just honestly can tell you, hunting public land with my buddies is the funnest time that I've had in the woods. So don't miss out. I would just say, say start by taking a walk. And just if you're, if you're not a public lands uh, believer, um, just go and find a property near you and spend a couple hours on it kicking around. And I guarantee you, um, you're going to get excited because you're going to see possibilities wherever you turn, whether it's a, a marsh or the edge of a woods or a recent clear cut. You're going to start brainstorming about how to approach that property and hunt that property. Um, so if, if you're not a believer yet, I just challenge everyone to just go take a walk and, and you might get the bug that way. Endless possibilities. You got seven million acres to work with. Right. You'll never you'll never cover it all. Right? How many was that? Seven million. Seven million. Seven all right. million. <laughs> and I would close with just to say be grateful and appreciate that generations before us they had the foresight to recognize the opportunity that the opportunity to have public acres was going to benefit this state from a recreational, from an economic, all that post-World War II era um, leading into the 50s and the 60s where a lot of that acquisition took place. It still exists today in the form of the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Fund and, and when that comes up for question, the public still supports continuing that, you know, acquire more properties. Um, it's not happening at the scale, of course, that it used to, but to really appreciate and be grateful that those folks, you know, had the foresight to set this up because we're the benefactors. Mm -hmm. I guess I would just echo what Aaron mentioned and just say have fun. Probably the most fun I've had hunting is getting skunked on public land. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't enjoy harvesting a buck or harvesting a deer, but there's just so much more to it than that. Um, and I think really checking out public land is going to help you. I think it's going to help you get to square one and really realize why you started hunting in the first place. Um, every time's a little different. Uh, focus on the learning aspect of things, the social aspect, why you got started in the first place. Um, and I think, I think it just makes you a kid again, kind of. You're, you're right back into, into learning mode. So I, I, I think it just makes it a lot of fun. And yeah. it's just the variability of it. Be thankful for it. That's a very good point. Enjoy the process. Be thankful for it because there's a lot of people in the world that don't have it. Yep. Does anyone have any closing thoughts? We have covered a lot today, but yeah. we covered it all. Pretty, yeah, we covered <laughs> it all. We can close the book on this one. Um, so, just a reminder. Obviously, a thank you to the hunting public guys. Um, you can catch them and Jeff and Bill actually in our public lands hunting segment on the web series. You can find that at dnr.wi.gov. Keywords: Wild Wisconsin. Um, that's going to be launching in September. Um, other than that, just remember to check out our other podcast uh, episodes. We're really trying hard to do our best to reach you guys, to give you the info that you want and that you need um, to get out on the land, enjoy it, whether that's public or private land. Um, check out our YouTube channel, WIDNRTV. We've got the iTunes and Stitchers channels for uh, podcasts. You can search keyword connect on our webpage, and it is going to give you all of our social media pages, everything in one place. Um, so other than that, just we look forward to keeping the dialogue going with you guys. Thanks to the hunting public guys. We'll be checking in with them throughout deer season. Uh, so thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Wild Wisconsin Off the Record podcast.